Happy New Year, friends, and welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. I'm Gwen DeSelm, producer of this weekly podcast, and I'm excited to be stepping into our third season of bringing biblical teaching to everyday people like you and me in ways that we can understand and then put into practice. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Well, we're going to start off this new season with a series called Unique. See, you have been uniquely wired up by God for a purpose. And when you discover that purpose, all kinds of kingdom potential can be unleashed in and through you. So over these weeks, we're going to talk about how your unique passions, gifts, and your story all come together to help identify where your best serve might be. And be sure to stay tuned to the end of this message for a special closing word from Dave. Now, let's join Dave with your dash of life. I'm going to ask uh, each one of you, please, to take out your sermon notes and a writing utensil, pen or pencil, and I want you to write uh, two dates on there, all right? I want you to write two dates. First of all, I'd like you to write the date of your birth, and then make a dash, and then write another date with a question mark after this one here. You're going to write those dates for a couple reasons. First of all, you obviously were born, and the fact is you're going to die. You just don't know when. All right, so let me begin. I'll just write my date of my birth in here. All right. All right. Okay. I'll write the date of my birth in there. All right. And then uh, this one here, I simply can't fill in yet, and neither can you. And the reason why is you don't know what that day will be. Now, here's what the interesting thing is. You had no control, neither did I, about this date. You didn't ask to be born. You didn't ask where to be born or when to be born or even whether to be born. And you truly don't have any control over this date here. For some of us in this room, this could be in the next year or two. You have no control over this. You have no control over that. All you have any modicum of control over is this. That little dash. Call it the dash of life. How you will spend those years. That's all you can control. Can't control the first date, can't control the second. The fact of the matter is, it is this dash that is rightly named because life really is a dash, isn't it? It is so short. And those of us who are a bit older like me seem like it's going faster all the time, isn't it? Life is so short, so very, very short. The Bible refers to life as a vapor, a mist. It's here and then it's gone. Life is so very short. And when your life is gone, all that will be left besides your tombstone is your legacy. What you will be remembered for. What people will say about you. The contribution that you made to humanity. That which you'll be remembered for. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Two weeks ago, on a Sunday afternoon, I've been between football games. 
I was watching uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Any of you familiar with that movie? And uh, it was a remarkable movie as a former teacher. I really loved it. If you're unfamiliar with it, the plot is, is quite remarkable. It's a story of a music teacher. And this guy is a tremendous music teacher, band teacher. And along with teaching, he also was writing a composition, his opus. But because of his investment in his kids, his students, he never gets around to finishing it for 30 years. And by the time he's done, it's never been performed. Fast forward to the movie, and at the end, because of uh, shrinkage in the tax base, they have to cut the budget, the music budget, and he's fired. And it just seems like a terrible miscarriage of justice. But especially for Mr. Holland, there's a sense, my whole life is gone, and what was it lived for? Will anybody ever remember that I ever existed? And in a very nostalgic piece, he begins picking up the various things off his desk, heading for the door. And as he's walking by the auditorium, he hears noise, like a pep rally, and goes in there. And as a group, everyone rises. And it's the staff and the administration. But it's also three decades of music students who have been called back for a special celebration of this guy. And it's an amazing thing. It's so surprised. He comes down the aisle and sits down. And then down, uh, coming through the door, is who's going to be the mistress of ceremonies. And it's one of his former students. And she is now the governor of the state. She gets to the podium and she says, Mr. Holland, we are your symphony. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. We, your students, are the music of your life. Of course, he's weeping. I'm a mess at this time. (laughs) And then the curtains open and three decades of his best students are behind the instruments And they said, ladies and gentlemen, for the very first time, we now play Glenn Holland's unplayed opus. And they play for the first time this piece that he wrote. It was so incredible. But as that movie ended, I thought to myself, what will my legacy be? When it's all been said and done, what will I be remembered for? What will you be remembered for? Was it important that you existed Did you really matter? What will be said about you when you're gone? I know it seems a bit morbid, but what would you want to have etched on your tombstone? I'll tell you what I'd like to have etched on mine. It's a New Testament verse that has to do with an Old Testament character. It's become my life verse, and it's Acts 13.36. For when David had served God in his own generation, he fell asleep. Now, it helps that my namesake is in the Bible. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a better statement than that. That in your life, you dropped a stone into the pond of humanity and the ripples really went out. That you really touched people. That you really made a difference with your one only life. In contrast, I'm convinced, friends, and this troubles me to no end, I think the vast majority of Christ followers won't make much of a ripple In fact, their legacy, ironically, was quoted by John Steinbeck in his book, The Grapes of Wrath, as he characterized the Okies of the Dust Bowl. Listen to this epitaph. And when they died, it was as though they had never lived. Can you imagine that being said of you? She had zero impact. He did not make one whit of a difference. 
I can't think of anything more tragic except that you will carry that for all eternity. We're going to be talking about this over these next weeks. We hope to, in these weeks, help you to discover what you were made for. To be able to get a handle on your unique calling, that as surely as you have a unique fingerprint, you have God's call upon your life. Discover that calling, and life takes on purpose and meaning no matter what you do during the workaday week. Fail to discover it, and you can be dead a lot earlier than you ever buried. No one understood the pain of that better than a guy named King Solomon. The words of Ecclesiastes are his, if you want to open your Bibles to that. Best way to find Ecclesiastes is to find Psalms, then Proverbs. The next book is Ecclesiastes. Now to contextualize Ecclesiastes, you need to understand that Solomon, who was King David's son, had various stages of his life. He had it all. Wisdom and wealth beyond measure. And early on, as he was tracking with God, he had a tremendous legacy. In fact, the book of Proverbs... Much of it was written by Solomon during his days of wisdom and spiritual health. But as increasingly he moved toward middle age, as increasingly more and more women came into his life who turned his heart away from God, Solomon began to go into a spiritual tailspin. And what we have in the book of Ecclesiastes is the book of a man in midlife crisis who was really wondering if all the wealth and all the wisdom and all the women that he had really were worth it all. We read his words in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the first 11 verses. The, man of, the words of a man who lost his calling. The words of the teacher, son of David, if you want to write in your margin, Solomon. Now you know who it is. King in Jerusalem. Watch what he says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is Meaningless. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go. The earth remains forever. Sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes. Ever returning on its course, all the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place uh, the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. Even those who are yet to come would not be remembered by those who follow. He senses frustration. I've had it all, he said. Been there, done that. Now what? There's nothing to life. It means nothing. A life without purpose, a fate worse than death. Recently, Forbes magazine had its 75th anniversary uh, issue to a single topic, dedicated to a single topic. Here was the title. Why do we feel so bad when we have it so good? Editor James Michaels pointedly asked, why is this nation that marched so proudly into the 20th century slouching so dejectedly into the third millennium? His answer was this, we as a nation no longer have any great goals. We no longer have any noble purpose. 
And yet deep down within us, there is a sense that we were made for something more. We were made for so much more. See, that's why the same old, same old is so wearisome to us. Think about it. The same old alarm club goes off at the same old time. You get out of that same old bed and go to that same old bathroom. You look in the same old face in that same old mirror. You take that same old shower and dry off of that same old towel. You go downstairs to that same old kitchen and have that same old breakfast. You get in that same old car and drive that same old way to that same old job. You listen to that same old boss tell those same old dumb jokes and you laugh your same old laugh. You do your same old work the same old way, quit at the same old time, get in that same old car, drive that same old way home and pull in that same old driveway. You sit down in that same old chair, read the same old paper, watch the same old Wheel of Fortune. You fall asleep in that same old chair, get up and go to that same old bed, ask that same old wife that same old question and get the same old answer. I'm not even looking for elbows right now. (laughs) Then you set that same old alarm clock to that same old time and get up that same old routine and do it all over again. And this is life. Is it any wonder that we are spending so much time on toys and trinkets and recreation and relaxation, how we are almost out of our minds with trying to give us anything that will numb us to the pain of a meaningless existence? And yet we were made for so much more, so much more. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. And then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, just go to davedeselmministries.org and click on the donate button. Well, Dave and I are excited about what God is doing with Dave DeSell Ministries, and we'd like to invite you to follow us on that journey by signing up to receive our weekly update. Get the latest DDM news and a personal word from Dave sent to your email inbox each Monday. You can subscribe to the weekly update on our website, davedeselmministries.org. Well, let's get back to today's teaching but be sure to stay with us at the end for a special closing message from Dave. We were made for so much more, so much more. Slide back about half an inch to the left to Psalm 139, where David lets us know that we were meant, we were made for something far more than same old, same old. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. You might want to underline certain things that come out to you in this context of your uniqueness. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The fact of the matter, friends, is that you are more than a coincidental collision of particles. You are more than an accidental evolution of molecules. You are even more than a confluence of inherited chromosomes. You were skillfully and wonderfully made. There will never be another you. 
You ever thought about that? God broke the mold when he made you. There'll never be another you. The master craftsman of the universe formed you, everything about you, and he wanted you to be born at this place and at this time in history. He wanted you to live a dash beyond your wildest dreams. You. This is the uniqueness that we can hold as Christians. You have a purpose. You have a calling. One of my favorite Old Testament books, and if you're looking for a read during this time and a parallel to this, would be the book of Esther. It's a great adventure. It's the story of a, of a, it's got a bad guy, it's got a good guy, really it's a good gal. Because Esther. And there's this plot to destroy the Jewish race, and she knows that she has to decide if she's going to step into this thing. Could cost her her life. And her uncle, Mordecai, gives this classic line. Who knows? but that you were born for such a time as this. And I could say that to every one of you in this room. Who knows? But that you were born for such a time as this. God has a dash for you to live as surely as he did for Queen Esther. Now the Apostle Paul references this in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, literally God's work of art. You're God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus, watch what it says, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul reiterates David's words that God always had a plan for you. You were created for a purpose. You were given a calling. You were sent to this earth at this time, at this place, for his purpose. We know that. Deep down inside, there's not one of us here that doesn't know that. That's why you young people have this sense, I got to know what I'm here for. And it's the lack of young people having a sense of purpose that causes suicides to be the number two cause of death for kids after automobile accidents. Because after all, if life has no purpose, why live? So for young people, it's like, why am I here? For you who are middle-aged, I can't say us because I'm beyond that now. That's why one goes through that famous crisis, that middle-aged crisis. That maybe if I buy enough toys and trinkets, I can recover my lost youth because after all, I have nothing to look forward to. And that's why those of us who are older, perhaps with a bit more wisdom, lament how we wasted so much of our lives. Because we know that our dash doesn't have too many more laps in it. Darlene Sheck, who wrote the song Shout to the Lord, also has done some great writing. I love this quote. She said that the two greatest days of a person's life are number one, the day they were born, and number two, the day they discover why they were born. So how does one do that? Over these next weeks, what I'd like to do is unpack for you uh, a way that your life can come together, and this is not nearly as exhaustive as it could be, but to get a taste of it, I suggest to you that your life could really be looked at as a series of three circles. Call the first circle your passions. You were born with a, with a passion for something. You were born with a desire for something. Um, the great passion may come out of that which you experienced and you want others to experience it as well. It could come out of pain. That place where you were hurt and you never want anybody else to be hurt. It come out of something you observed somewhere. 
That's just not right. Someone has to step into that. Your passion may have a sense of maybe a heart for kids. I just have this passion for kids. Maybe it's going to be I have a passion uh, for the elderly. Maybe you have a passion for single moms. Your passion, though, is that place where you find a combination of frustration, fulfillment, and fruitfulness. You're frustrated that nobody else sees what you see. You're so fulfilled when you get to step into that. And the fruitfulness, that is to say, you're effective there. Next week, we're going to talk at some length about the city of passion. Second, I hope to unpack for you also this idea of your gifts. The wonderful thing, if you're a Christ follower, you are not only born with a unique chromosome set, hair color, eye color, height, a unique personality mix, outgoing, more withdrawn, but you were born with a spiritual gift, probably several of them. When you come to Christ, he activates that gift. It may be a gift of mercy, of teaching, of administration, of leadership, of hospitality, of being able to work with your hands. But you are a gifted child. We have a tendency to think, as it relates to that phrase, when we say, well, she's really gifted. It'll be because she's gifted musically or athletically or in dance. But the fact of the matter is, there's not a one of you here who's not a gifted child. And when your passions match your gifts, you're two-thirds the way toward finding your calling. The third one is this thing called your story. I used to underestimate this, but the fact is, every one of us has a story. There are good things in your story, your family of origin, those decisions that you made, right or wrong. There are bad things in your story, and there are even ugly things in your story. But the God who works all things together for good, Romans 8, 28, will take in consideration the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when these three circles come together, when you see this confluence of passion, gift, and story, where they come together, many times points to your calling. A sense that you have, I was made for this. I was made for this. I love this. I never feel more fulfilled, more fruitful than when I do this. When you find that, you realize your dash is not in vain. And the earlier you find it, the better off you are. Because, oh my, the mileage that you can get in your dash. When the end of your life comes, you begin to do some reflecting. A group of octogenarians, 80-year-olds, were asked this question. If you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? Their answers were quite consistent. If I could live my life over again, number one, I would reflect more. I would reflect more. Number two, I would risk more. Number three, I would do something with my life that would live on after I'm gone. Hey friends, Pastor Dave here. You may not be approaching 80 like the folks in that survey. Indeed, you may be in your 20s or 30s. But here's what I know to be true. It's never too early to consider the kind of life you want to lead 
or the kind of mark you want to leave. So each week in this series, I'm going to take a few minutes at the close to invite you to take some point of action. As we begin this series, I encourage you to take some time to reflect on your legacy. Ask yourself, how would I want these statements to be completed? For example, people will say that I stood for, how would you complete that? Or, I made a difference in this world by, how would you complete that? Or, God was glorified because I, go ahead and finish it. Or, people knew I loved them because I, finish that one. Finally, the reason I expect God to say well done is, finish that statement. This might be a great conversation to have with a friend, a community group, or your spouse. But for right now, let's talk to God about it. Lord, you told me in your word that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Indeed, there'll never be another one like me. In light of that, you already have purpose for me and ways that my life can count. Help me to find and fulfill your purposes for me to the glory of your name and the expansion of your kingdom. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.